in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. Phytoncides are these chemicals that exist in the essential oils of plants, primarily and mostly in evergreen plants, but also in all plants. Um, and some of the research out of Japan, these same doctors, Dr. Lee, Dr. Ching Lee, specifically out of Japan, um, has studied these phytoncides and found that when we're out in nature, we're breathing in these volatile oils, these chemicals, these essential oils from plants, and that these phytoncides have effects on the body that are beneficial. And so this is where it gets really exciting, but they found that um, breathing in these phytoncides um, actually increases our natural killer cells in the body. And so natural killer cells are really important, especially right now when we're talking about a, a worldwide pandemic and fighting viruses and doing whatever we can to boost our immune systems. What if, in addition to the pharmaceutical medications, we were to work on what I call the backup plan, which encompasses therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy that involves looking at your nutrition and your exercise and a mind-body practice and your sleep and getting out in nature. And once we have all of those pieces in place, you might suddenly start to realize you no longer do need as much of the medication you're taking. That was my experience personally as well. And we do give those medications, even though we know that giving the medication is literally a band-aid and those medications have been proven not to prolong life. Right. And that's the message that we're not doing a great job of getting across to our patients. My name is Jorge Roman author of Return to Human, certified health coach in training, metabolically flexible individual, and insulin-sensitive human. In this podcast, I will relentlessly ask, why is there so much conflicting information about health, nutrition, and lifestyle recommendations? Is there more to the story? Or are those individuals involved with natural and alternative health just a bunch of pseudoscientific quacks? I will often have solo episodes discussing relevant scientific research around nutrition, supplementation, powerful lifestyle practices, and will sometimes be joined by two friends and co-hosts. I'll also be interviewing thought leaders from all walks of life in an attempt to discover what truly makes someone sick or healthy. I will do this with no agendas, no dogma, just truth, regardless of the fact that I will inevitably trigger some narrow-minded and myopic individuals. To live damn well doesn't mean living life perfectly. We're all gonna die someday. So striving for ultimate health is a pretty counterproductive goal. Rather, I hope to learn from myself and empower others to fulfill their purpose and enjoy life, all while being disease-free, energetic, and in control of their biology. I believe humanity already has all of the tools to create a life which is disease-free and highly fulfilling. Now, we just need to do the hardest part, cutting through the divisive, arrogant, and closed-mindedness which holds us all back from creating the world we deeply desire. Thank you for joining me on this journey, and I hope to help you on yours. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My name is Jorge Roman, and my guest today is Dr. Bartlett Hackenmiller, board-certified physician in integrative medicine, obstetrics, and gynecology, and the author of The Outdoor Adventures Guide to Forest Bathing. Dr. Hackenmiller speaks nationally and internationally on the subject of autism, cancer, integrative medicine, and nature therapy, emphasizing the powerful science-backed benefits of connecting with nature to reduce stress, improve mental health, and as a much needed antidote to our busy, stress-ridden modern world. Dr. Hackenmiller, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So since depression, anxiety, and so many other mental health problems have skyrocketed since COVID, I, that's kind of the thing that I wanna focus on first. Um, so first, tell me a little bit about what, what is it for the people that have no idea what it is, um, and as an OBGYN, how you first stumbled upon it. <laughs> it being forest therapy, is that what you're talking about? Yes, uh, forest bathing, forest therapy, there are so many interchangeable words these days. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a convoluted journey, actually. Um, it's a good question how an OBGYN would suddenly find themselves uh, teaching and leading forest therapy. Um, so yeah, my, my background is as an OBGYN practiced uh, for about, have practiced about 20 years. 
um, in 2010, I heard Dr. Andrew Weil speak and he uh, essentially coined the term integrative medicine. And at that time I was starting to ask a lot of questions about conventional medicine, both what we're doing and offering for our patients in terms of treatments, mostly in the term, in terms of pharmaceutical medications and surgery, um, but also asking questions about what kind of environmental factors are contributing to certain conditions that we're seeing more and more of. In my personal case, uh, I have a son who has autism. Uh, and at the time I was dealing with a husband who had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And both of those conditions we know have environmental links. And I felt like I was ill-prepared to deal with the answers to my questions from my conventional medical background, but I had no idea where to find those answers. So. As I mentioned, I heard Dr. Andrew Weil speak. Um, he has a fellowship in integrative medicine through the University of Arizona. And I realized that I needed to go that direction both my, for myself and my family, um, and then also for my patients, because I was finding increasingly that my patients were asking questions about things like herbal remedies and things that I had no background or understanding for how to use. Um, and, and so I felt that this was the next step for me. So. So I did Dr. Andrew Weil's fellowship um, in integrative medicine, ended up finishing that in the winter of 2013. And um, I often will recall back to the very last day of our fellowship and our medical director, Dr. Victoria Mazes, told us that we would all find our niche in integrative medicine. And I remember thinking, well, what, how will I ever come up with a niche? I like all aspects of integrative medicine. I love nutrition. I love talking about exercise. I really was excited about the mind-body connection and was studying a lot about, has practiced yoga for a lot of years, but was learning more about meditation and guided imagery and all these things. I loved herbal medicine. Um, and so I never, I, I wondered how I would really figure out my niche. Turns out it came to me and uh, it's nature. So the rest is history. My then husband, who I said uh, had been diagnosed with cancer, passed away in 2012. And so uh, I found that I dealt with my grief and my healing process primarily outdoors. And at first it was all about the adventure of being outdoors. And I felt that I, I needed to be doing things that happened fast. I needed to be running. I needed to be mountain biking. I needed to be, uh, I was training for these adventure triathlons and things. And um, while at the same time, I realized that I needed balance and I recognized the importance of yoga and things like that. But I, I discovered in 2014, this idea of forest bathing. I didn't discover it, but I learned about it and, and was very much intrigued and wondered what that was and, uh, and how I could learn more. And I discovered ultimately that it was really what I had do been doing all along, but that it had a name. Uh, and I'll stop here because I, I could just ramble on if you have any interjections and we no, can be no more worries. conversational. I like, <laughs> I like to let, you know, the people who are interviewed be interviewed. I listen to a lot of podcasts and it's just like the podcast host talking the whole time. And it's like, no, you're, uh, you're the one being interviewed. So I'm going to let all you. All right. Know. Well, I sometimes I realize that I could just monologue and I don't want to do that. We can talk and have a conversation. So feel free to interject or interrupt me if I... Uh, say something that you want to get more in depth in or yeah. would like me to just stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is exactly? Yeah. Um, what is forest, forest bathing? bathing? Yeah. Describe it a little bit more. Isn't that the, that's the million dollar question. It's such a funny term. So believe me, when I first started offering forest bathing walks in 2015, 2016, everybody around me thought I was certifiably nuts. And uh, we would offer these programs at some of the nature centers near where I live and, and people would call and say forest bathing. I mean, is clothing optional or what are you guys doing out in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of clarification required. Uh, the good thing is that it has become a term that is much more known now, but forest bathing and forest bathing and forest therapy are increasingly becoming interchangeable terms. But the idea originated in Japan uh, and the term is shinin yoku in Japan and it it the term was term was coined in the early 1980s when a couple of doctors in Japan 
started recognizing that their patients were increasingly dealing with anxiety and depression and that the incidence of suicide was rising dramatically. And so these doctors started wondering, you know, what could they do for their patients to help them? And is it, is it all about the pills and, uh, and what else could there be? And so these doctors wondered if, if just the stress of being in the city in Tokyo was part of, of what was contributing to these mental health problems. Was it the, the constant barrage of lights and sounds and stress and, and the synthetic nature of the city that was contributing to the mental health issues or, or was it something else? So they wondered if they took their patients out into nature, if that would help them with their stress. And they found that it did. So they started taking patients out about an hour outside of the city into a forest doing these mindful, quiet, contemplative experiences that encourage the participants to really take nature in through the senses. And initially they did these over a weekend. So it would be like a three day, two night um, excursion or just immersion into the forest. And being doctors, they, they did a lot of studies on their participants and they did questionnaires regarding their mental health before and after their time in nature. And they found consistently that their participants were reporting feeling better in nearly all aspects of mental health from anxiety and depression and self-esteem and you know, that their concentration was better and their memory was better. And all of these aspects of mental health were improved after these excursions into nature. So they also started studying physical health parameters on their subjects and found that their blood pressure improved, that things like blood sugar improved, heart rate, heart rate variability, which is a marker of stress. Um, they even did tests of their saliva and the, the biomarkers in saliva, like their cortisol levels and alpha amylase levels. Uh, and they found that, um, that these improved after these experiences, that their, their, the, the hormones in their saliva actually dropped after being out in nature, the stress hormones that is. So, so, uh, so this practice, Sindunyoku, is translated into English literally as forest bathing. So that's right. where the term came from. And it's been now brought to the United States and other parts of the world. And it's a little bit different depending where it's done. And uh, it doesn't have to be a big, fancy experience necessarily. But it's this idea that being in nature and specifically trying to have a more mindful experience in nature without an agenda. Um, so it's not a hike, it's not for exercise, it's not a nature identification walk, it's not bird watching, it's, it's just simply taking nature in through the various senses and experiencing a mindful time in nature, but then also celebrating the awe and the wonder of nature. Just which, being instead of doing. Being, being instead of doing, um, but also enjoying it and celebrating it. And which is a little bit different from your typical mindfulness practice, where the idea is to have no emotional attachment to it, to just witness. And so, so there's a little um, delineation, I guess, with that in forest therapy that, no, you don't have to just witness. You do get to also be thrilled and awed and moved by what you see and hear and feel and smell and taste in nature. Um, now, this is probably confirmation bias and a little hint of hindsight bias, but like it seems, you know, common sense that going out into nature would be so good for you. And science is, you know, kind of playing catch up now with all these <laughs> things that we used to know and we used to do. I mean, people forget that we used to live out there. I know. Before seven, right? So yeah, he was um, singing my you, song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You, you mentioned um, mental health and that's something that I think is pretty clear when people get stressed, they go to the park and park attendance now has actually skyrocketed too since COVID. Um, but in terms of physical health, you mentioned things like blood pressure, heart rate variability, stress hormones going down. Um, I'm assuming some of those benefits come from, you know, sounds, smells, breathing in microbes and soils. Mm -hmm. Is there right. anything else? 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there is a micro, at least one. I mean, there are microbes in soil uh, that have been studied and found that if we are out in nature, we're ingesting, taking in through our mouth and breathing in these microbes just by being in the proximity of soil. And those microbes have been found to help with our memory and things like that. So that's kind of amazing. Um, there's also this whole notion of the phytoncides. And so phytoncides are these chemicals that exist in the essential oils of plants, primarily and mostly in evergreen plants, but also in all plants. Um, and some of the research out of Japan, these same doctors, Dr. Lee, Dr. Ching Lee, specifically out of Japan, um, has studied these phytoncides and found that when we're out in nature, we're breathing in these volatile oils, these chemicals, these essential oils from plants, and that these phytoncides have effects on the body that are beneficial. And so this is where it gets really exciting, but they found that um, breathing in these phytoncides um, actually increases our natural killer cells in the body. And so natural killer cells are really important, especially right now when we're talking about a, a worldwide pandemic and fighting viruses and doing whatever we can to boost our immune systems. So we need natural killer cells along with all of the other immune cells in our bodies. Uh, natural killer cells sweep around through our bloodstream and find viruses and gobble them up and bacteria and fungus. And they even find tumor cells in the body, which we're all producing all day long. We're producing cells that replicate and divide perfectly normally. And we're also producing ones that replicate and divide abnormally. And if left unchecked, they'll become a tumor cell, a cancer cell. And so these natural killer cells sweep through the body and find tumor cells, gobble them up and get rid of them for us. So wow. it's pretty remarkable that they found that by spending time out in nature, specifically in these forest bathing exercises, that our natural killer cells increase in number and also level of activity after these this uh, kind of experience and that it's not only immediately after, but that that um, response occurs and lasts for seven days and as far as 30 days afterwards. Wow. So, so it's good for us. And you're right. Isn't it funny? We know this. It, right, it, exactly. It's hilarious that we would have to study it. And yet I find that we're, people, we're a society who needs data and facts and figures to convince ourselves that something is good for us, even though we spent all but the last 200 years of our evolution outdoors, right. essentially outdoors. Right. It's only been in the last couple of centuries that we've increasingly been indoors. Um, and we've started to forget that we already know this, but we do inherently intuitively know that being outdoors is good for us. It's crazy. It seems like we've done a full 180 now, or we're starting to, right? Because we went from being in nature, we were a part of nature. And then right. we started living these sterile indoor lifestyles yes. for the past 200 years, like you said. Yes. And now science is clearly showing that <laughs> this back to nature movement is, is backed by science. It is. I know it's absolutely a circle and, and we definitely do. We know it. Um, and, and yeah, we're increasingly finding that being indoors and being sedentary is as dangerous as anything else we might do. I mean, sedentary lifestyle is the new smoking. Oh, and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, we know that we need activity, but then to find that studies are finding that if that activity happens outdoors, you even get a synergistic kind of double bang for your buck. Definitely. And if we look at someone like, uh, or populations like the Hadza, for example, these modern hunter-gatherer populations in, in mm -hmm. Africa, we see yeah. such a rich and diverse microbiome from being outdoors. Um, yeah. And there's actually a little nuance to that, which I learned recently, which is actually that they don't actually consume that much fiber, which means that they're actually getting it just from their drinking water, from breathing it all in. You know, it's not all about feeding the bacteria with with fibers although that's important obviously yeah that's but fascinating it's it's amazing to me and yeah. i could go into a whole rabbit hole about that but oh i know so yeah. the next topic i want to cover is um diving a little bit deeper into you know how can people actually start doing this because i know especially in the winter um 
a lot of people won't be doing this, you know, for days, they're not going to yeah. go on a camping trip in the middle of winter. So um, walk me through how someone could actually, you know, go about doing this, implementing this into their daily life. Right. Well, that's the really exciting thing. And I think that's where some of the emerging research is getting even more interesting, that it doesn't have to be about forest bathing, per se, it doesn't have to be about going out for, um, did I lose my, can you hear me? Yeah, all good. Okay, yeah. I just had one of those weird uh, sounds, so sorry about that. Let me back up. Uh, some of the interesting new science is finding that it, it doesn't have to be about forest bathing. It doesn't have to be a big excursion. It doesn't have to be to a national park. It doesn't have to be, it's not all about the duration of time there are all kinds of different ways that we can interact with nature and still derive health benefits, both physical and mental. So, and I think especially during COVID, we're finding that we have to be increasingly creative. We can't necessarily go to a national park. We can't necessarily even go to a park down the street in some cases. There are people and at different times and different locations during the pandemic where people haven't been able to go outside of their house. Or like you mentioned in the winter, I, where I live currently, we've had 14 days of sub-zero temperatures. And so it's hard to be outside. And as a person who has to be outside, side, I suffer. I either have to bundle up and do it anyway, which I sometimes do, or I have to think outside the box. And what we're finding and the research is finding is that nature can look all kinds of different ways we can benefit from even gazing out the window. We can benefit from interacting with a potted plant and that that can provide health benefits that we might otherwise not get if we're having this sterile indoor existence that is consumed by Zoom meetings and, uh, and devices, electronic devices. So, so that to me is really remarkable that it doesn't have to be some big prescription for something extraordinary. It's just get outside when you can. Um, some of the studies too are finding, so there's increasingly seeming to be a sweet spot for dosage of nature, right around 120 minutes per week. And when you average that out, that's about 17 to 20 minutes per day. But what we're finding, I think, and it kind of excites me is that similar to the recommendation that we need to be getting about 150 minutes of exercise per week, we're finding that at a minimum, we probably need around 120 minutes of nature per week. So isn't that interesting? That's awesome. To me, that's, yeah. and just like we've discovered with exercise, um, you know, we used to think that you had to do an hour long workout or a 30 minute workout and you, it wasn't worth it. You didn't get any health benefits if it wasn't at least 30 minutes. Right. And then over the past few years, some research has found that you can do a 10 minute workout. If you do your workouts, even in small little increments, but they add up to that 150 minutes per week, it works, it counts. You're still getting the health benefits as if you had, you know, three hour long, workouts per week. So that's exciting. And we're finding similar types of things happening with the nature research that it, it, the key is to finding what it is you enjoy doing in nature and do that and do it some and more of some <laughs> yes. to the point that hopefully you get to a couple of hours per week. And if you can't get it outdoors at a park or hiking or doing something that you think of as nature, do the next best thing, which is sitting on your porch or looking out, excuse me, looking out the window at a tree or looking at your potted plant or, you know, spend 20 minutes with your potted plant. It's kind of amazing the experience you can actually have if you do that. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, people think that it has to be some crazy lifestyle change, but really something as simple as uh, looking outside your window and looking at the sunlight in the morning uh, you know, looking at the sunrise, that sets your circadian rhythm up so that you have better sleep that night, yes, actually. Yes, it does. So, so true. Little things just add up. Yeah. So important. 
yeah, I'm kind of sleep obsessed. So I'm all about that sleep research. <laughs> Me too. Me too. As someone who was pretty much uh, not diagnosed insomniac. Yeah, that, that's something I've been doing a lot of research yeah. into lately. Yes, I could talk to you hours about sleep. So yes, and you're absolutely right. Uh, there's, there's research that has found that after spending time outdoors, you sleep better, you know, and there's the research about grounding in nature yes. and grounding and sleep and all of that. I mean, we could talk for hours. Let's pick a topic. Yeah, no, <laughs> Go definitely. all kinds of different tangents. Definitely. I think, yeah, like we said at the beginning, science is starting to catch up and starting to find that all those trivial little things, which we thought didn't matter, like, you know, being barefoot outside or looking at the sunlight, all these things add up and they really do have profound effects on health. They do. And uh, I think all those people who thought I was crazy a few years ago are starting to go. Ah. So a couple of years ago, I start. I'm always throwing challenges out there on social media. And, you know, sometimes you think, oh, people are probably again thinking I'm crazy. But then every now and then I'll get these, this little feedback that my little challenges have had these profound effects on people. And it's it's really remarkable. A couple of years ago, I challenged people to get outdoors for at least five minutes every day and post about it on Instagram. It was my outdoor adventure 365 hashtag. Um, and so I had a couple of people who got outside every single day and posted on Instagram. And afterwards, after the year was over, it had been a major lifestyle change and major health benefit for them. Uh, I have another person who just recently shared a similar kind of thing with me that they're forcing themselves to get outside, even though the weather is terrible, but it's the best thing they've ever done for their mental health. <laughs> so um, I, I've been uh, posting these uh, little nature contemplation. That is my latest little hashtag, little nature contemplation. Um, and so I'll, I'll just throw out these little, just a little way that you might interact with nature in your day and, uh, and then share back and, I, I'm finding that people are having really, really profound experiences with these things. Now, for the people that aren't so convinced, um, I want to dig into geek out a little bit about the science yeah. behind it. So <laughs> yep. you mentioned phytoncides. Mm -hmm. um, do we know exactly how that works like, mechanistically? <laughs> I don't. And you are speaking my language because I can't stand not knowing exactly how it works. So for now, we're going to have to table that conversation. I actually reached out to Dr. Lee this past summer uh, and tried to dig into that further with him via email. But between email and a language challenge, I didn't really manage to get my questions answered. I've tried to reach out to some uh, people who work in the essential oils, aromatherapy kind of realm. I, like you, want to know chemically, physiologically, how this works in the body. So I have yet to get that answer, but as soon as I do, I will let you know. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's the, the missing piece. It too. is a missing piece. And it's, it's a, and, you know, on one hand, yeah, I, I totally geek out on the science and I love it when science confirms what we already know. But I'm, yeah, and I'm right there with you. It, it drives me nuts when we don't have the answers. But I think we will soon because I think there is suddenly this interest in understanding how this actually works in the body. So I think at the tuned. end of the day too, like, does it really matter if we know it scientifically? I know. It, you know, I think we put a lot of emphasis, which is a good thing on objective things, but also yeah. the subjective is also super important. That's how we make discoveries. Right. Sitting outside, you start feeling good. You start feeling your anxiety start to drift away. Yeah. Maybe there's something to that. And we don't need to know the mechanism to know that it works. Today, I wanna interrupt the show to highlight Thrive Market. Now, Thrive Market is on a mission to make healthy living accessible and affordable for as many people as possible. It's a fully online subscription-based grocery store which provides a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or veteran in need for every single paid membership. Now, let me tell you why I think Thrive Market is really changing the game in the world of health-promoting foods. First of all, you can shop hand-picked brands from cosmetics to supplements to even frozen wild-caught fish, grass-fed beef, and a bunch of other household products, which are all shipped right to your door. And you might think to yourself, well, organic health food is so expensive. And I totally agree, but when you buy from Thrive Market, you actually save around 25 to 50% off 
the retail price that you'd find in a physical health food store near you. And the membership is incredibly affordable. It's really just about the price of a cup of coffee per month. And on average, the members make it back in savings after just two orders. It's also way easier than the grocery store. Uh, they make it so easy to shop. You can sort the entire catalog by non-GMO, organic, vegan, gluten-free, paleo, sustainably farmed. Personally, my family has been ordering for Thrive Market for several years and we really can't recommend it enough. So if you wanna make eating healthier, not only more affordable, but convenient and delicious, try Thrive Market risk-free for a month using my link I get a commission, but you also get a discount, so it's a win-win. And you'll get a gift of up to $24 in value when you use the link. And if you don't like it, no worries. You'll get a refund of your membership. The link is in the description. Hope you give them a try. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it helps to convince people, the naysayers, like you mentioned, uh, one time I had a, I did a poster presentation at this big international conference and this surgeon walked by and we had been talking a little bit and he walked by my poster and it had some research on it. He goes, well, good, glad to see there's some research. And he walked by and it just made me laugh. And I thought, so you wouldn't believe it otherwise if there wasn't research to confirm the health benefits of time and nature. Isn't that hilarious and weird? And what a disconnect. Yes. Um, but yes, the science scientist and geek in me would love to know exactly why. And I do think we will hopefully know in the relatively near future. I think there is definitely a mental block sometimes when it comes to um, being open-minded to new science and, and understanding that science isn't it shouldn't necessarily be dogmatic and ideological. It should be ever changing. I mean, science is in the business of being wrong when it thinks it's right. I mean, yes. we saw that happen with, uh, you know, us being at the center of the universe. And then we saw it happen with saturated fat recently, which is starting to topple down really. Um, and so we really need to be open. And I think not so arrogant when it comes to oh, science. Could not agree more. And so as a physician, when I first started, I was the most conventionally minded physician that I knew. And so people who knew me then and haven't seen me for 20 years and run into me now are often shocked that I've had such a major tangent in my career. And it's because of really mostly personal life experiences that have just shaken up my worldview and my ability to be willing to just throw out everything that I thought was true and be open to other possibilities, which when you think about it, that's something I think that we all need to really grasp in terms of world politics, in terms of national politics, I should say, um, in terms of world relations, uh, but also in terms of our health and I think we were really quick to jump into this idea that there would be a pill for everything. And it's turning out that that is not the case. And this is something I think a lot about. A um, hundred years ago, medicine was dealing with acute problems. We had, when you went to the doctor, you had an acute illness, an infection, or you had an injury or something that was acutely immediately causing you illness or injury that had right. to be addressed. If that couldn't be addressed, you would die. And people died of infectious diseases routinely. So then we came up with this miracle, the antibiotic, and that has changed everything. And it used to be that people didn't live long enough to develop things like type two diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol and things because they died of some kind of infection or injury long before they lived long enough to have these chronic conditions. So we mistakenly thought that medicine would take care of all of it. But what medicine does a good job of is dealing with what I should, I should re restate that what pharmaceutical medications do a good job of is dealing with acute problems like infections. What conventional pharmaceutical medicine does not do a good job of 
is dealing with chronic illness. And that's the fallacy that we've gotten ourselves into is this idea that there's a pill for that. Well, there's not. I'm here to tell you that you can take all the pills in the world for all of your chronic problems and they're not going to make you live longer. So that that's a problem. And once we come to that realization, we can start to see that we can't fix our chronic problems with a pill. Therefore, we have to go to the simpler things that we already know, the lifestyle changes, prevention, things like our diet, our exercise, managing our stress and our sleep and dealing with and getting out in nature. And those are the things that are gonna help us be healthier and live longer. And it's not gonna be in the form of a pill. Totally, I 100% agree with that. Um, I think that's something that has been brought up in virtually every single interview that I've had so far, um, just because it's it's so important. And I really think that uh, the mainstream medical system is changing slowly, but it's changing um, because that, that's where we need to go. We need to think about these uh, holistic ways to help people. Um, although I will say with with something like because personally, I've dealt with a lot of mental health issues and my, my family, it, it runs in my family as well. And, um, you know, there's, there's something like um, uh, antidepressants, for example, which, you know, I used to be in that camp, dogmatic camp where I was like, no, like no medication, medications are bad. But with something like that, there's utility. And again, um, if you're on the verge of doing something like as, as, as serious as suicide, that can help to give you whatever it may be, the cognitive behavioral therapy in that interim period while you're taking it to delay that and hopefully prevent it Absolutely. altogether. I could not agree more. And that's exactly how I personally believe pharmaceutical medications should be used for mental health issues is by all means, when we need them, we need them and we need them now. Right. But what if in addition to the pharmaceutical medications, I talk about this all the time with my patients, let's work on the, because I see people all the time who come in and they would love to get off of their Lexapro or their Prozac or whatever, um, but they don't have any idea how they would go about it. And I'll no. often say, well, maybe you'll be able to, maybe you won't, but I can tell you, we're not just going to stop it and see how it goes. But what if we were to work on a backup, what I call the backup plan, um, which encompasses therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, or whatever kind of therapy that involves looking at your nutrition and your exercise and a mind-body practice and your sleep and getting out in nature. And once we have all of those pieces in place, you might suddenly start to realize you no longer do need as much of the medication you're taking. That was my experience personally as well. And I used to be on an antidepressant medication. It was six months after my husband died that I decided I no longer needed to be on it. I was working with a therapist who was helping me through all of these things. And she said, most of the time, I would not recommend at this time that you go on your medication, but yeah, you're doing all the right stuff and you're thriving and you're doing great. And I was able to go off of it, but it was because I had all of those other things in place. And that was the only reason. So but I certainly was thankful when I needed it, that it was there right. um, and right. wouldn't hesitate to use medication again in the future if it was necessary. But I think for a lot of people, perhaps looking at the bigger picture and especially nutrition, um, that's step one. Yes. And we can go off on that. If you're not getting the nutritional building blocks you make, you need to make serotonin and norepinephrine and all of these things, it doesn't matter how much of a serotonin reuptake inhibitor you're taking because you can't keep the serotonin around in your system longer if you don't have it, you don't have the building blocks to make it in the first place. Absolutely. I think a big part of it comes down to um, education as well. And it's such a complex topic, neurochemical, yes. you know, childhood trauma, social. Yes. Oh my, it, it's so complex. And I think, you know, in all of my ignorance, to be fair, because I'm not a physician, I'm just someone who likes to learn about health, but um, I, I think that something like a pharmaceutical intervention is is good as a last resort. Like if someone has, let's say, accrued, let's say, all of these bad habits throughout their yeah. life and they're at a point where they need something Absolutely. now, that's where modern medicine I can come in. Totally agree with you. I 100% agree. 
Um, and not even last resort, almost first resort, like let's break this cycle right now and then we'll back up and try to turn the ship around. Right, right. And especially uh, actually an interview I had uh, a few podcast interviews ago with a cardiologist, he was telling me like he tries to emphasize, he really tries to push diet and lifestyle first. Mm -hmm. But there are a few select people who just won't, they're not willing to make the changes. Right. And with those people, okay, they're, yeah. they're given a medication. And, and we do give those medications, even though we know that giving the medication is literally a Band-Aid. And those medications have been proven not to prolong life. Right. And that's the message that we're not doing a great job of getting across to our patients. Um, and that's a convoluted whole difficult subject because of pharmaceutical lobbying and things like that. So, you know, we could go down that whole rabbit hole too, but, um, you know, we, we have a complex healthcare or sick care system as it is right now. Uh, and there are a lot of factors that make us do what we do, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there is a place for pharmaceutical medications, but, um, the best way to be and the best way to live to be 100 is to not be taking any of them or as few as possible. Definitely. Uh, this is, so this is going to be a difficult question, but <laughs> what do you think should be the next step um, in terms of having the greatest return on investment on whether it be on people's health or whether, whether it be as something as large scale as, you know, the medical system? What, what is that next step? Do you think? Ah, wow. <sighs> You know, so my teacher and mentor often says, Dr. Weil says about integrative medicine, someday we won't call it integrative medicine. We'll just call it medicine. And we will no longer see medicine as conventional versus alternative and complementary and integrative and all of these different things. We will acknowledge that all of these factors influence health and that it's not about a quick fix in any form that, um, that we do have to incorporate and put a much higher emphasis on the things that we know are important and critical for health. The things that we've been talking about, nutrition, exercise, stress management, nature. Um, and so, so I, I don't know that it, it would, I think the problem is this idea that there is a one thing that's gonna be the best return on investment. The one thing I think is recognizing that there isn't gonna be one thing. It's that there, it's such a complex, we are complex beings, health is a complex concept and it, it requires all of these different things. And until we get to that point, we're not gonna be healthy people. That was a very comprehensive answer. <laughs> <laughs> So way more than you ever wanted <laughs> to No, that was great. Um, to summarize, really some takeaway points for people. Um, there's no one size fits all approach to health. I don't think uh, there's also no one thing that is everything. There's no panacea. It's 5% no. increase, 5% improvement in health here, 10% here. And if you add them all together, that's where I think I've seen results personally in my own life. Um, and nature is a huge part of that. Um, the research that you've done and the book that you've written definitely highlights that. Yeah, I think um, it's all about balance. It's yes. just like it was balanced for me in nature, whether it's about adventure activities versus quiet time. We need balance in every aspect of our lives. For me, I have to schedule these things in or they don't have happen. I have to schedule, schedule my exercise. I have to schedule when I'm going to get outside. I have to schedule, um, you know, meal planning. And when I don't, all of those things go by the wayside. People often ask me how I juggle all the things I do. And it's because I just have to keep things scheduled. I have to prioritize the things that really, really matter. And otherwise I fall apart. And my family knows it when I go too long without exercise or without being outdoors. Those are the two critical things for me, really, um, that when, when those things go by the wayside, I fall apart and I'm a crabby person. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I think we all need to be in tune with 
what our bodies need and start to realize that these things have as much of an impact as they do and they're free. So nature and movement are things that we can all do if we get over ourselves and realize that they don't have to be fancy. You don't have to have fancy clothes. You don't have to have fancy equipment. You don't have to have a gym membership. You just go outside and walk and move a little bit or walk, go outside and sit and enjoy. Absolutely. And I think you actually answered. Uh, so I like to do a series of rapid fire questions at the end with every guest. You actually probably <laughs> answered the first one. <laughs> yeah. So the first one, unless you already answered it, is what's the most important habit that you do every single day to support your health? Uh, most days it's get outside. Um, this past 14 days of sub-zero temperatures, I have gotten outside much less. But yes, that is the number one thing. If I have to do, even if it's a short short burst, it's getting outside. And what's the most important life lesson you've learned recently? Hmm. Wow, you should have given me a chance to prepare for these. <laughs> <laughs> most important life lesson recently. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. I guess. I mean, you're going to have to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I sit here and ponder. Um, you know, kind of what we were just talking about, the ability and willingness to throw things out when they no longer serve me, um, to be willing to to not continue to agree to something or say yes to something or stick with something that no longer serves me and to be able to let go of it and take a different path. That personally hits home to me. That's a, a lesson that, that I've also learned the hard way the past yeah. few months, um, letting things go that don't serve you. And the first yeah. step is identifying what doesn't serve you. And Absolutely. then it's making the decision. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, last question. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? Oh my gosh, my 20 year old self. I would, there's a lot of advice I would give my 20 year old self, but a large part of it would be to let go of other people's expectations of myself. Um, we're all here for a very short period of time and we have the most to offer ourselves and the world when we're following our own true purpose and our passions and when we try to do things that we think other people want us to do or would benefit from we're not giving the world what it needs and we're certainly not honoring our own our own true self so I think if I had to give advice to my 20 year old self it would be to just follow my bliss Man, it seems like you're just reading my mind. That's, <laughs> that's, that's really another a lesson, honestly, that I've, uh, that I've been learning. And it's what caused me to, um, and inspired me to start this podcast and write my book, um, mm. and start uh, health coach training to get certified, because yeah. uh, those are all things that I would have never, 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 never in a million years done, because I was in high school, middle school, super anxious kid, socially anxious, I would get up in front of the class, like palms sweating, super high, like heartbeat, like it yeah. works. And that's, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. So thank you for sharing that. Mm. Thank you for sharing it. You're doing good work. It, and it clearly does come from, from the heart and the right place. And, and that does make a difference for people. So to finish off, where can people find out more about you and your work? Oh, well, thank you. Um, they can Check out my website, which is integrativeinitiative.com. I'm on Facebook with the same name. Um, my book is The Outdoor Adventurer's Guide to Forest Bathing. I also have a little kid's book about autism called A Friend Like John. Um, those are both available um, online at the usual places or the web. Uh, the publisher for my forest bathing book is Falcon Guides. All of that is on my website. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at DocSuzy, S-U-Z-Y. If people want to follow my little Instagram challenges, they're kind of fun. So I love interacting with people. I love it when people reach out. Um, I love when people share how they've used my book or the invitations in my book, um, which is just offers really simple, practical ways that people can 
try to do some kind of forest bathing experiences on their own. It thrills me when people will share back that uh, they did this as they were hiking or sitting or whatever, and um, it, it made them feel this way. So I love it when people report back. Awesome. Uh, I'll include all those links in the show notes. Uh, again, Dr. Hackenmiller, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. I think we could have talked probably for several hours on any one of those tangents. So hopefully we didn't stray too far off topic. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this episode and if you'd like some of my other episodes with other guests, please take the time to review this podcast on iTunes. That would be incredibly helpful to me and getting this message out to way more people. Navigating the world of health and wellness is anything but straightforward. So if you're a little bit confused as to, you know, what things are harmful, is this food good? Is this food bad? Well, spoiler alert, it's not that simple. However, I and many others have done the heavy lifting. So I put together a book called Return to Human, how modern medicine, the media, and the mundane have destroyed our immune systems and how to move back towards optimal health. The full version is available on Amazon. Now it's around 70 or 80 pages. And so it's really a simple guidebook that you can use and an introduction to all of the major aspects of health, which is why I think it's so helpful for people who are kind of confused and lost. Here's what I cover. I cover the top six aspects of health, which if compounded, if combined together, and all of these things are done properly, then you can have amazing effect on your overall health. Because, you know, unlike what many health gurus claim, one thing will not make a healthy person. Multiple things will give you a 1%, a 2%, even a 10% if you're lucky, increase in your overall quality of life. So in the book, I share with you the six major aspects of health and what things in our modern environment are causing our immune health to be totally crippled and then also what we can do to live an ancestrally modern lifestyle which supports health. And it's not a medical recommendation. Of course, I want you to do your own research. You are responsible for you. But it's a great starting point if you're a little bit confused. Now, I understand that right now you may not want to dish out a few dollars even though it is $3 right now on Amazon, that's okay. Because mindset is inextricably tied to your immune health, so your emotional state, your mindset, all of that directly affects how your immune system functions in response to a virus or bacterial infection and so forth. So I made that chapter 100% free for you to download. It gives you some very simple tools that you can use to reduce stress, calm the nervous system all in a way that's free or very, very affordable. Now, if you want that, you can click the link in the description, which says free download to chapter two, or simply head over to livedamwell.com. I hope you check it out. I hope it helps. And I'll see you in the next episode.